Well, last week we began a sermon series titled Exodus, Save for Glory. And we saw that God's people were in Egypt and they were enslaved there. But God, had, he initiated a plan, a savior was born. No, not Jesus, but a deliverer of God's people nonetheless. His name is Moses. And we saw how the evil Pharaoh, how he decreed that, that all of the baby boys in Egypt be killed, and yet God in his providence preserved the life of Moses. And, and he was actually adopted into Pharaoh's own household. Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses and raised her as her own. And now uh, we begin in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, and it's just one verse past what we saw last week, but now we fast forward 40 years. Moses is now a grown man, and the people of God are still in dire straits. Surely now must be the time for God to use Moses to deliver his people. No, God takes Moses on a detour in life, a 40-year detour. You know what detours are, don't you? None of us like to see the detour sign while we drive our cars, but we all prefer traffic detours over life detours. How do you process life's detours? Do they cripple you? Do they get you forever off track? Do they produce in you a self-pity? Well, let's look at how God uses the detours in our lives as we look at the life of Moses. Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they had came home to their father Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and he called his name Gershom for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word given to us this morning. It shows us um, 
a broken man uh, who was sent on a detour, and yet in your grace, um, you rescued him so that your people may be rescued. That's a welcome word for us this morning. We pray that our eyes and ears would be open in a spiritual way to what you would have us understand from this text. And we pray this in the name of our Savior. Amen. You know, our lives are full of detours, are they not? Some some come at the hand of others, you know. Uh, a guy or girl you hope to marry dumps you, or your boss fires you, or a reckless driver maims you. But often detours can come from our own hands, right? Your temperament gets the better of you. Your insecurity causes you to do something rash. You make foolish choices or misguided decisions and and then there's our own moral failure, laziness, selfishness, bitterness, greed. There are many causes for the detours of our lives. All we know is that one day we were on the right path, and then we take a left turn, and then we realize the, the path is now blocked, and who knows if a remedy will ever come our way. There's something about how we make plans. We make plans for our lives, but our lives actually defy planning. As the boxer Mike Tyson famously said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So what do you do when life punches you in the mouth? Do you defiantly dig in your heels deeper and try to push through things? Do you resolve not to take no for an answer and then muscle your way through? to get the life you want? Or maybe do you give up, run away, abandon your hopes and dreams because you, they've just gotten too far away from you? Moses can identify with all that. Moses had in his head that he was to be the deliverer of God's people out of Egypt, but he, he took matters in his own hands and he ended up running out of Egypt to save his own life. Talk about a giant detour. You know, we, we joke about those college students who cram a four-year degree program into five years. <laughs> there you go. Moses stretched out his education 40 years. Here's what D.L. Moody said. I think you'll find it interesting. He said, because Moses lived for 120 years, Moses spent the first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody. He spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Today we look at the middle 40 years. God used Moses' 40-year detour to make him into the person he needed him to be. And here's what we need to see. God uses detours in our lives to prepare us for greater service. We're going to look at that under two headings, the failure and the forming. First, the failure. We see the failure in verses 11 through 14. You know, last week we saw that Moses the baby needed to be saved from Pharaoh. Now we see that Moses the grown man needs to be saved from himself. We read in... Verse 11, it says, One day when Moses had grown up, 
Not a lot of details there, is there? All of a sudden he's 40 years old, right? I feel like that some days. Um, how had Moses grown up? Moses grew up a man of privilege. He was raised in the household of the greatest man on earth at the time, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Talk about privilege. Moses was educated in the finest schools with the finest of degrees. He, he never had to serve as a servant. He had servants surrounding him. Moses never went without anything. Here's what Stephen says of Moses 2,000 years later when he gives his great speech in Acts chapter 7. Here's what he says. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptians. So he's recounting what we just read. But he adds something. Listen in the next verse. He says, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. Stephen describes the privilege of Moses' upbringing. He went to had the greatest schools come to him. But he also speaks of Moses' privilege of a calling. He really did have a sense of calling, of destiny for God, that God was going to use him to save his people. Problem was, he wasn't ready yet. What was wrong? Well, Anthony Salvaggio, whom I'm deeply indebted to this morning, here's what he writes. He says, Moses was clearly a privileged man, but like many men of privilege, he allowed his privilege to give birth to personal pride and self-sufficiency. It was his pride that would bring about his fall and his 40-year detour. Let's look at Moses' pride. You know, we live here in the Hamptons, and we often hear stories about how privilege leads to pride. There's uh, young men or women. Uh, they grow up surrounded by wealth and, and opportunity, and they allow their privilege to lead to pride. Often the stories, they don't end well. But the young people, they perceive that they're above the law and they act according to their own standards. And then comes some sort of fall. You just read the papers. So when privilege leads to pride, God sends correction. And he did this in a big way in Moses' life by sending him on this detour into Midian. In verse 11, we read, When Moses had grown up and went out to his people, and then what happens? There's some encouraging things. It's, you know, he looked upon their burdens. He saw their suffering. Moses was identifying with these people as being his people, even though he was raised as an Egyptian. In the letter to the Hebrews, describes Moses this way in chapter 11. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You know, there was something right in Moses' mind, but his pride led to his failure. He killed the Egyptian. That was a rash act of violence. This was, this was not God's plan for redeeming his people. Moses' pride was to blame for the killing of the Egyptian. How so? Well, we see in his pride that he was... He was consumed by acting out on his own timetable for the deliverance of the Hebrews. When Moses inserted him in, himself into the conflict between that Hebrew and the Egyptian, he was presuming that he fully understood God's plan for his people and that he was free to operate uh, on his own timetable. 
Salvaggio writes, Whenever we attempt to replace God's timetable with our own, we are acting in a prideful manner. Have you ever done that? Had your own timetable and you expected God to follow it for you? I know I have. It's a constant temptation. The second way in which Moses' pride emerges in this account is the method that he chooses to employ for liberating God's people. You know, God had a plan for delivering God's people. And in this plan that we come to see a little bit later in this book, it's all about God and his power and his glory being on display for the whole world to see. But Moses had a plan to use his own power, and it was an act done in secret. And in the end, it led to Moses' shame, right? How do we, Moses, how do we know that Moses felt shame? Well, because he knew what he was doing was wrong. Look at verse 12. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the, the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. You ever look left and right, want to make sure no one was watching what you do? Usually it's because you're going to do something maybe you shouldn't do, right? Okay. Well, that's what Moses did. He knew what he was doing was wrong. And then with the outcome, the dead Egyptian, he, he tries to cover up what he had done, buried him in the sand. These prideful actions of Moses, using his own timetable and employing his own methods, are the things that we Christians struggle with at times, do we not? Salvaggio writes, it's easy to convince ourselves that God is not moving fast enough or that his methods in our lives are, are inefficient. Do you struggle with this? Do you find yourself questioning God? Why, why haven't things worked out for me already? The reality is that when we engage in this type of prideful behavior, we're essentially declaring that we believe that we are the ones who are sovereign over our own lives and circumstances. And the result of this pride we see in Proverbs 16, 18. You perhaps know this one. It goes this way. There we read, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Moses experienced a destructive fall. How so? Well, first, Moses' prideful actions actually led him to be discredited by the very people he came to rescue. In verses 13 and 14, Moses goes out the next day and he sees two Hebrews that are wrestling. They're like, you know, a little boxing match. They're fighting. He tries to break it up, and he does. But the two men want nothing of it. You know, Moses thought that they would say, Thank God, Moses, we've been waiting for you. About time you came. <laughs> In fact, they question, Who made you prince and judge over us? How ironic. The people who Moses thought he would lead want nothing to do with his leadership. His own people reject him. Moses' pride leads to the rejection by his own people and also makes him an enemy of Pharaoh. The word gets back to Pharaoh that Moses had done this, and now Pharaoh wants to kill Moses. There's an old saying for this. It goes, ay, ay, ay. This is the failure of Moses. His pride led to a fall, and because of his fall, he flees, but God uses this detour to form him. Let's look at the forming. We see it in verses 16 through 22. 
Moses flees from the palace to the prairie, and God uses this time here to form him. Years ago, a junior executive at IBM involved the company in a very risky venture that resulted in a $10 million loss. When Thomas Watson, the founder of IBM, called the nervous executive into his office, the young man blurted out, well, I guess you want my resignation. Watson replied, you can't be serious. We just spent $10 million educating you. (laughs) As we look at the forming of Moses, we learn something that should capture our hearts. God is able to take the, to take our failures and by His grace and for His glory reshape us so that we can become fruitful. That's a promise we need to understand. We all need to hear this. You know, none of us are the people we know we should be, let alone the people God has called us to be. Often our lives are consumed with petty desires, are they not? We maneuver as best we can to get what, so that we can achieve our goals for ourselves. And even if we really do desire to honor God, we, we often turn out to be our own worst enemies. Our, our temperaments get the worst of us. Uh, our placing ourselves first means that others get our leftovers. We say and do stupid things that we regret later. So the question that should humble us is this. Why am I not the person I know I should be? God knows the answer. God knows how broken, sinful, messed up we all are. And this shows us, this passage, that God is able to work in us despite that. There is a saying that should make us be thankful here this morning. It's this. God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. Now, God doesn't delight in our crookedness, but he cleanses us from sin and uses us nonetheless. And the fact that God draws straight lines with crooked sticks, it speaks about God's grace towards us. And the more we understand God's grace, the more we say to God, God, take this crooked stick of a life and place it in your hands and make something beautiful out of it. Now, to get to that point of surrender, we need to empty ourselves of our foolish pride. So what we must see is God uses detours in our lives to empty us and prepare us to be used in his glorious hands. Now, let's look at how God formed Moses in those 40 years in Midian. First, let's look at how God used Moses' detour to create empathy. You know, it's clear from the passage that that Moses um, identified ethnically with the people of Israel, right, with the Hebrews. In verse 11, we read that Moses went out to his people, and he saw the Egyptian beating one of his people, right? He was raised Egyptian, but the Hebrews were his people, at least ethnically. He had an identity as a Hebrew, but, but prior to his detour, he lacked any real sense of what it was actually like to live as a Hebrew in Egypt, He is a Hebrew who grew up in Pharaoh's house. He knew nothing about slavery and the suffering of God's people. But in Midian, when he got there, 
he found himself to be in a form of bondage. He had been taken from his land and placed among a strange people. He had lost all of his privileges. He had to work for a living, and he became a servant and became a shepherd. We read in in verse 15 that Moses fled to Midian. Midian, where is that? It's on the far side of the Red Sea. It's, uh, It's where modern Saudi Arabia, in the very northwest part, uh, it's, it's, it's hot, it's dry, and it's dusty, right? And so Moses sits down by a well. Why a well? In ancient days, wells were the center of commerce and community. All the roads would lead to a well. And there the seven daughters of the priest of Midian try to water their flocks, but the shepherds come along and push them out of the way. And so Moses, the mediator, steps in and he settles the dispute in the daughter's favor. And then did you see what he does? He serves them. He is the one who fills the troughs with water and waters their father's flock. And he he did the work of seven women in like less time, right? Because did you notice what happened? Like the girls come home in record time and daddy's amazed, you know, he's... The girls tell of this courageous man who stood up for them and watered the flock. And dad says, what's wrong with you? Single man by the well, strong, handsome. All right, I don't think he said that. But he said, why did you leave that man alone? Invite him to dinner. He stayed 40 years. He married one of the daughters, Zipporah. Moses became a servant and a shepherd. And Moses became a father. And when he named his firstborn, he gave him a name that demonstrates, listen, that Moses had now developed ethnic empathy. In verse 22, we read, God gave birth, or excuse me, she gave birth to his son, and she called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The name Gershom is a compound word um, meant to describe how Moses now saw himself. Gur means alien, and Sham is a similar in sound to the word Sham, which means there. Gershom means alien there. Prior to his fleeing, Egypt was home to Moses. It wasn't an alien place to him. But now he's come to realize that just as his fellow Hebrews were aliens in Egypt, so now was he. He's come to identify himself with his people. God formed Moses during the detour in Midian. Before Midian, Moses was full of himself. In Midian, he learned to empty himself. Now, our culture admires and sometimes advances people who are full of themselves. But God operates with a differing economy. God requires his appointed leaders to to empty themselves of pride and privilege. God seeks a a humble and a contrite heart. God calls us to empty ourselves of ourselves. And interestingly, Moses began to understand this principle of emptiness at a place of filling a well. When Moses entered Midian, he began to serve rather than be served. He emptied himself of self and began to put the interests of others before his own. His fall from grace in Egypt put Moses on a path of humility 
that will allow him in chapter 3, next week we'll see it, to stand before a burning bush in the presence of God Almighty and respond to God's call upon his life. We know that Moses learned this lesson well because later in the Bible, in Numbers chapter 12, we read this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. It was in Midian that Moses learned humility while shepherding a small flock of animals in the wilderness. Moses' detour in Midian was not wasted time. It was time redeemed by God to form Moses as God's servant. For us here today, it's worth noting that these two qualities, empathy and humility, are prerequisites not just for leadership, but for being a mature Christian. Paul writes this in Philippians 2. I'm sure a number of you know this passage well. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And listen, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Like Moses, we're called to move our focus of our interest off of ourselves and instead put our focus upon the lives and circumstances and needs and interests of others. We are called to empathy. Salvaggio asks, How are you doing in this area of your Christian walk? Are you like Moses before Midian, being consumed with your own selfish ambition and pride? Or have you learned that the Christian life is about serving rather than being served? Have you, like Moses, learned to water the flocks of others? Now also, as Christians, we're called to humility. Humility is is a self-emptying. Jesus made it quite clear that the Christian life requires that we first empty ourselves so that we may find ourselves. Remember what he said in Matthew 10, verse 39. Jesus said, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's as if we're like a, we begin life as a glass with it, and it's filled with our own selfish desires and ambitions. This glass that's full of ourself, Jesus is saying, needs to be poured out. And then and only then can we be filled with Christ. It's a paradox. Fullness begins with emptiness. So the good question to ask is, what is in the glass of your life? Are you like Moses before Midian, filled with self-love and pride? Or have you learned what Moses learned, that Fullness of life with God is found only when we empty our lives of self-love. You know, Moses, in his life, it required a great detour in his life to form him with the character in order to become a successful servant of God. Moses had to go through Midian before he could lead God's people out of Egypt. His detour led to the salvation for God's people and, and glory to God. It is a detour that reminds us of how God uses our mistakes to to mold us for his service. More importantly, I think it points us 
to the glory that we see in Jesus Christ. You know, as we're seeing in this study of Exodus, that Moses is a kind of type of Christ, like a precursor shadow that kind of helps us to see more fully um, what Christ is to us in the New Testament. We see, though, that Moses was a flawed man. He was a flawed mediator. Think of it. Moses, Moses did not volunteer to become empathetic. God had to press it into his life. He became empathetic as the result of, of his own sin and its circumstances. Moses was not willingly, he did not willingly humble himself. Instead, he had to have God pour out his glass for him in Midian. But in contrast, when we look at the life of our Savior, we see a little bit different picture. You know, Jesus didn't require any detours in his life in order for God to form him into the man God needed him to be. Jesus was always singularly focused upon his heavenly Father and his Father's will. Jesus is the only person who walked this earth of whom we can say God used a straight stick to draw straight lines. In Jesus, empathy and humility were always there. And they became magnificently manifested in his incarnation and most certainly in his work on the cross and in the resurrection. Here's how Paul describes Jesus in Philippians. Though Jesus was in the form of God, he's speaking, Jesus is divine, uh, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but what? Emptied himself. Up in heaven, before he came to earth, Jesus emptied himself of all, all privilege and prerogatives. And he came into this broken, messed up, sinful world. And, and, and he lived on our behalf. Paul says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Like Moses, Jesus was sent to deliver his people out of bondage, but Jesus willingly submitted to become like us so that he could deliver us. Jesus was willing to be born in the flesh. He became like us, only without sin, so that he might actually redeem us. And when he came, remember what happened? His own people rejected him. And when falsely accused and sentenced to death, Jesus did not flee for his own life, but rather willingly gave his own life, so that by faith in him we may live too. So I think a good question to ask is, is have you entrusted your life to Christ? And I'm, I'm saying not just on the day in which you were saved, maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or last year, but each and every day of our lives. Have we entrusted our lives to Christ? Even the days when we are in a giant detour. So this morning we've seen that God uses detours in our lives to prepare us for greater service ahead. Once again, Dio Moody, because I like what he says. Dio Moody said, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was a somebody. He spent his second 40 years thinking he was a nobody. He spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Now, aren't you glad the Bible doesn't gloss over the sins of the people of God? If it did, there would be no stories. <laughs> there would be no people of God. Because every person of God who's 
become a child of God is, is a crooked stick in God's hands. All the heroes of the faith are men and women who were crooked sticks. And God had to, t- if you read the stories, God took every one of them on detours in life in order to form in them the qualities and the characteristics, the humility, the dependence that they would need in order to serve God and Christ in his kingdom. God emptied them of all their pride and showered them with grace so that they could become instruments in his hands. This is God's work with every child of his. How foolish we are to think that we would somehow be exempt from the detours of life. Christ Christ only exempts you from from the sin in your life. He doesn't exempt you from suffering. And so as we wrap up this morning, let us ask ourselves, if this is the way, if this is God's way of forming his people, what makes us think that we'd be exempt from being the being formed by the detours in our lives. What is it that would perhaps cause us to think that? Could, it, could there still perhaps be pride and self-sufficiency in our lives that maybe needs pouring out this morning? As we come forward for communion, may we pour out all our pride and our self-love so that we may discover what God will do with nobodies that are filled with Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, in many ways, are not like us. You are holy, 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 pure and majestic, glorious. If we think any ill thoughts of you, it's not because they're true. It's because we just don't know you. We are people who are coming to know um, that you are gracious and loving and kind. But more than that, you're powerful and providential. You're able to work out all things for your glory and for our good. Even the detours of our lives. May we be a people who readily pour out our self-sufficiency and self-love and pride. We pray even that you would do whatever it takes for that to happen in our lives so that we may be better enabled to, to love and serve you and serve others, we pray. Amen.